I woke up this morning thinking a certain individual was the front runner for the Miami Hurricanes offensive coordinator job. Now, I think he's no longer a candidate. You are Locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Alex Dono, your host. I'm a University of Miami alumnus, longtime South Florida sports radio vet and contributor to allhurricanes.com. And thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We are available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. So, wow. Um, I'm kind of in scramble mode uh, today because uh, I woke up this morning uh, based on, you know, things that I have been told by people I trust and things that I've read over the last couple of days, which were reinforcing the idea to me that Scott Frost, former Nebraska head coach, former UCF head coach, former Oregon assistant coach, I was thinking that he could very well be the front runner for the Miami Hurricanes offensive coordinator job. Uh, now I no longer think that's the case. Um, I'll tell you why in, in a second. Um, and I was told this this morning by uh, someone who has given me great information in the past, right? I mean, I, I told you guys from early December on that I was hearing uh, Josh Gaddis was going to be out, right? That dragged on for a long time. People started to doubt that. Um, you know, I've been given very good information by this source on that and on other things going all the way back to the Mark Richt era in the past. And, you know, I, I double check often on what's going on. And I, I want to emphasize that um, maybe some people can tell you who the candidates aren't, but we have a tougher time telling you who the candidates are. This thing is being kept very close to the vest by Mario Cristobal by Dan Radakovich, Alonso Highsmith, whoever all is involved in this, in those offices at the University of Miami, this is being kept very close to the vest, this offensive coordinator thing. Now, over the last few days, the name I had been seeing and hearing the most was Scott Frost, and that was leading me to believe he could be the front runner here. Uh, I followed up on Frost this morning and was told that uh, it looks like he ain't coming. That's what I was told. So... I don't know uh, how serious of a candidate he is or or ever was, but take that for what you will, guys. This is not, uh, you know, uh, I, I was told it's it's likely not going to be Scott Frost. So that is where we are at this morning, and it, it's interesting because I don't know I don't know if this is a decision that's coming from his side or from Miami's side or if he was ever considered a strong candidate in the first place, but apparently he's not coming. Uh, but you talk about the buzz that Frost's name has been getting in recent days. You know, uh, Mike Farrell from Mike Farrell Sports brought up kind of an interesting objection about Frost taking the Miami job. And, you know, Farrell covers college football very closely. Uh, he says this being the Frost rumors, this has some legs. But to me, it's dumb. He said Mario Cristobal got rid of Josh Gaddis, quite honestly, because of his lack of recent recruiting on offense uh, that was going to hurt recruiting and already 
hurt uh, the ability to lure some elite wide receivers that they struck out on. So why replace him with the, in Farrell's words, disgraced Nebraska head coach who couldn't put together any sort of offense in the Big Ten? If I was an opposing team, I would use this as negative recruiting fodder over and over again. It would not be a smart hire. Now, that's definitely, that's a legit concern, right? Because when you talk about what Mario Cristobal is trying to build in Coral Gables, and yes, coaches are important, of course, but this is supposed to be a talent-driven team. That's the way Mario Cristobal compiles or tries to create winners, okay? Because recruiting, a.k.a. talent acquisition, that is the most single important component of the recipe that Mario Cristobal is trying to cook down here. Mario Cristobal doesn't try to reinvent the wheel schematically on offense or defense. He wants to have the better Jimmys and Joes on the field. He wants players who can line up and win all of their one-on-one -on -one battles. Uh, and you need great players to do that. Obviously, you need coaches to teach them up, coach them up, coordinators to put them in the right places at the right time. So I'm not saying that stuff isn't important, but the talent acquisition. The talent acquisition is the single most important part of what Mario Cristobal wants to do. Okay, so, you know, still, um, one of the reasons why I, I did, uh, and I say did because it sounds like he may lo no longer be in the mixer. One of the reasons why I, I did uh, like or at least was warming up to the idea of Scott Frost being a candidate was, like, even if you can put... Um, you know, even if you can try to use his Nebraska reputation against him, you know, you can also look at, you know, the good things that he took from Chip Kelly's offense, who he worked for, the way he was able to evolve it. He did build a team at UCF that before he took over, they went 0-12. A couple years later, he had them going, what, 13-0. and Whether you believe in that national championship or not, they still went undefeated that season. That was a remarkable turnaround that Frost was able to get the right talent and put them in the right places within a couple of years to completely turn that ship around. And his work is well-respected. And I know the way that Mario Cristobal likes to, to approach recruiting is, he doesn't like to look backwards, right? Like he doesn't like to necessarily say, oh, here are, you know, the, the problems, whatever problems this candidate may have with his reputation. We're not selling the past, right? We're selling the future, right? Like last year, obviously you couldn't sell the past or the present because the present wasn't good last season when they were going five and seven and giving up 45 <laughs> points and some of uh, their worst losses last year, but you're always trying to sell the future. And I think Cristobal's hope would be like, we're, we're not here to sell you on this coach's resume. We're here to sell you on what type of offense he's going to run and what type of recruiting we're going to do in the future. And, you know, there are, there are mixed reviews about Scott Frost as a recruiter. Uh, you know, I've, I, I was told by someone who covers the recruiting industry very closely and, you know, interviews and talks to coaches and players one-on-one uh, -on -one very, very often. Uh, I was told that he is, uh, he's an okay recruiter, that he's not like an overly enthusiastic guy, but he does tend to get results and he gets the job done. So okay recruiter, that's not, you know, it's not a ringing endorsement, but it's also not an indictment. Like this person did not view Scott Frost recruiting as a weakness, but he didn't necessarily view it as a strength either. So uh, I'm very curious as to where this goes. If you can, in fact, cross uh, this one off the list. Um, you know, I was, I was asked specifically by a different person this morning about Willie Taggart, who's a name I hadn't seen brought up in terms of this search. Obviously, Willie Taggart is a name that 
certain fans will bring up because of his history with Mario Cristobal. You know, I, I asked someone I trust about Taggart and he didn't know. He says he thinks probably a lot of interviews have have taken place. He had not heard specifically about Taggart being one of those. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to monitor this, guys. And listen, if if they do end up hiring Frost, don't, uh, you know, don't crush me for it, uh, because yeah, up until literally up until 15, 20 minutes ago, uh, I was I was considering him to be uh, the front runner in a search we know very little about because they're keeping this close to the vest. But yeah, I was uh, I, I was told by someone I trust that uh, that the, he ain't coming. That was the exact word, ain't he ain't coming. So very curious to see how this one plays out. And we have a lot to get to on this episode of Locked On Canes, folks, because yes. Today is National Signing Day. I'm expecting it to be a quiet one for Miami, but I'll tell you, this is not the only episode we're going to do today, folks. We're going to have multiple episodes of Locked on Canes today because I will be doing an episode later today with John Garcia Jr., uh, head of uh, head recruiting analyst for the Locked on Network. We're going to talk about the highlights and the lowlights, mostly highlights for Miami's class of 2023. We are going to break that down I want to talk on this episode about what I feel to be a very slippery slope and kind of a scary, dangerous one that the NCAA is now going down in order to crack down on NIL enforcement. Is this an overcorrection? Because obviously the NCAA wasn't ready for NIL. They should have been ready. They weren't ready. Are they now going too far over the deep end to try to enforce it? We're going to talk about that. And when we come back, uh, there is a certain member of this Miami Hurricanes class of 2023 that I think deserves a lot more national respect. He's not getting it. Why is he not getting it? Back after this on Locked on Canes. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. That's America's number one sports book. We are so excited about our new sports betting partner because they're the number one sports book in America, and they're with us here now on Locked On. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who's going to score a touchdown. So... I think I like Philly minus one and a half against Kansas City. I'm going to be looking at this throughout the next uh, week and a half, but that's where I'm leaning right now. You can find all these numbers, including player props at FanDuel. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on and make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts, available free on YouTube. Guys, make sure you're aware Locked on is at the Senior Bowl, so you can get inside analysis from the hosts that covered the NFL's next generation in college and find out which NFL draft boards these uh, players will be climbing all in one location. Subscribe to Locked On NFL Draft for nightly live shows from the Senior Bowl uh, today and tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern time. But welcome back in to Locked On Canes. So, yeah, um, I mentioned we're going to have another episode later today reflecting on the 2023 Hurricanes recruiting class. And, you know, we're going to talk about it over the next couple of days as well. But so one thing that just really grinds my gears is 
And I hope that this young man is able to use it as motivation. And I think he's already doing that just based on the way he's been tweeting the last couple of days. But just the lack of proper respect that Ruben Bain is getting from national publications, it's insane. And I can't help but feel like had he committed to Alabama, who wanted him, instead of committing to Miami, that this guy would be on the top of every list. Like, oh, this is the greatest player since sliced bread. This guy's incredible. But he committed to Miami, and it's like he's not getting respect from national publications. There, there's been a couple of uh, a couple of downright dopey lists from On3 National that have come out the last couple of days. So On3, they left Ruben Bain out of their top 10 prospects from the state of Florida. And they had Brandon Innes number 10, which was like insane. And Reuben Bain not even on the list. Like, it, it's criminal not to have Reuben Bain in your top 10. He should be in your top five, like number five at the very worst, right? Like you, you know, if you're just going, I guess, strictly based on a prospect, maybe not number one, but he should be top five. It's criminal. And he was also, he was left out completely of on three's list of top 10 edge rushers. Like, okay. It's so it's so disrespectful to this guy because like not only does Reuben Bain have the credentials, but he also has the stats and he also has the respect from his peers. Like they're you know outside of not being two inches taller, there's like no strikes against this young man. Reuben Bain has like 60 sacks in the last two seasons in high school, playing in one of the most competitive high school schedules in the entire country at Miami Central. Like this guy's not facing farmers he's facing top programs in the area locally in the state and even around the country facing the top o linemen on a regular basis and they can't block this guy this guy had three sacks against img academy which is you know a powerhouse okay he's also a four-time state champion and he's got a trophy case full of individual awards he won the nat moore trophy uh, a month or two ago one of the most decorated high school football players of his entire generation. And I, I can't help but feel like he gets disrespected or ignored uh, too much for a couple of different reasons. Again, like, you know, had he committed to, to Alabama, I'm sure he'd be like number one on all of these lists. And then the other thing is, like, I think people knock Bain because what he's listed at 6'2", if he was 6'4 or taller... I feel like as an edge rusher, he would get so much more respect. So, Ruben, if you're watching this, Hurricane Bane, if you're watching this, I want you to know Locked on Canes and our Locked on Canes family, our listeners, our viewers, friends of the show, we have not forgotten about you, my friend. We know how dominant you are, and I hope you take the disrespect that you are getting, put that chip on your shoulder, and harness that into 15 20, 30 sacks next year, next couple of years at Miami, whatever you have to do, man, to use this rage to your advantage, please do it because you've always got a family here on Locked on Canes. We, we support Ruben Bain to the absolute fullest. So, okay. I want to talk about what's going on with NIL enforcement. You may have seen the headlines that the NCAA is going to be using some former, uh, FBI and CIA people to start really looking into more NIL violation claims and cracking down. And for that part of it, I don't see anything wrong with that. Okay. Because, um, you know, if you look, for example, the highest profile case of NIL misconduct, I would say is 
whoever you blame for it, whether you blame, uh, I, I don't blame the player and his family. Uh, but if you, you know, whoever you blame for the Jaden Rashada saga, if you, if you try to blame Jaden or if you blame Florida or the Gator collective or the lawyers that were involved with this, whoever you have to blame for it, we can all agree when you promise someone $13 million and then you suddenly just say, Hey, by the way, we can't pay it. That, that, that's this problem. Like that, that was a high profile failure of name, image, and likeness. And I think that's been the big catalyst here that has prompted the NCAA into beefing up their enforcement. And to me, like, you want to add CIA people and FBI people, I see nothing wrong with that. But here's something I think that could devolve into a pretty awful situation with the way NIL is enforced. So uh, the NCAA vice president of enforcement, John Duncan, he uh, spoke in front of a crowd of administrators at the NCAA's annual convention recently. Uh, this is from Sports Illustrated, by the way, is where this story comes from, this summary of what Mr. Duncan said. So they write at SI, the NCAA and enforcement staff will no longer be hamstrung by uncooperative witnesses when it comes to potential NIL violations, thanks to a new bylaw that goes into effect uh, that went into effect January 1st. So this has been in effect for a month. And here's what I don't like, because honestly, um, and I know the NCAA, it's not an arm of the government, but this sounds downright un-American to me, okay? Uh, investigators can now use circumstantial evidence, like a tip or a news story, instead of on-record sourcing to presume a school violated NI NCAA rules. So that's now a presumption of guilt, okay? Schools can disprove the allegations or else be potentially charged. The move strengthens the enforcement staff's ability to change schools, to charge schools, sorry, and allows more leeway for investigators. Quote, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, Duncan said. Instead of putting the burden on the enforcement staff to always come up with a smoking gun, which we don't always have, there is a presumption, he says, it puts the burden on the school. It's a really powerful tool. No kidding, it's powerful. I mean, it's it sounds like a dictatorship is what it sounds like here. No kidding. That's a powerful tool when, you know, you can now use uh, a tip or a news story as evidence of impropriety. And then you now, instead of presuming innocence, you presume guilt when you investigate. Here's what's scary about that, folks. Imagine how many anonymous tips and rumors they're going to start getting flooded with. Right. They're now going to start get. And of course, it's their job to filter out the serious complaints from the unserious complaints. That's easier said than done, because suddenly you get flooded by vengeful complaints from rival schools or even rival fans and administrators. That's going to have the NCAA running around like a headless chicken trying to look into all this stuff. And then how do we trust them to actually decide which schools to look into and which not to look into, because folks, I guarantee you there are going to be biases at play here because they're going to be getting allegations left and right and center, and they're going to have to decide which ones to look into first and maybe which ones they don't have the time or resources to look into at all because their resources are not unlimited, right? So I can imagine that the NCAA phones are already ringing off the hook with Gator fans just begging them to look into John Ruiz, right? When the Gators fans should probably be more worried about the reptile looking at them in the mirror right now than John Ruiz. And I'm sure, listen, if John Ruiz were here right now, I am sure he would say, go ahead and look into everything we're doing because I have nothing to hide. 
right? And to this point, it sure does look like Ruiz does everything by the book. You may not like how the book is written, but Ruiz does it by the book, dotting every I, crossing every T, and apparently paying every cent that he promises to pay. No $13 million promises that went unpaid with him. And listen, um, I, I genuinely hope that these new NIL bylaws can prevent something like the Jaden Rashada situation from ever happening again. And I hope it makes NIL better, right? Just my fear is that this just opens up a slippery slope for witch hunts and even lawsuits that are going to come as a result of this that are only going to make things worse, not better. I hope that's not the case because, yeah, we've seen, folks, plenty of evidence over the years of the NCAA conducting biased and improper investigations. So if we haven't been able to trust the NCAA to enforce their own rules up to this point over the past 40 years, why should we trust them now? Okay, so uh, that's what I'm afraid of when it comes to NCAA enforcement. And I think we all can agree um, they didn't have a game plan for this when it first came about. They're playing catch up now. But is this too much of a corrective measure? Right. If opening yourselves up to tip lines and anonymous complaints and presumptions of guilt, it makes me very concerned that this is what's going to be the thing that fixes the problem. Right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. This goes smoothly and leads to better times. We got to give some props to the hoops team, folks. Huge win. Nigel freaking pack. We will talk about Jim Laranega's team when we come back here on Locked on Canes. Guys, I have to talk about Built Bar. I just had a Built Bar for breakfast this morning. I just had the peanut butter chocolate granola bar, which is so good. If you're looking for a delicious treat, you don't want all the fat and calories. You've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays. I know my goal, a lot of our goals has been to eat healthier this year. And if you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious. You're not going to think they're good for you, but they are perfect for your New Year's resolution. For starters, Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. Uh, I love, I just ordered two boxes of the cookie dough chunk puff bars. Those are probably my favorites. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars, they taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you don't need to wait around now to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section. Grab yourself a box. If you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later because I love me some Built Bars. Thank you so much for making Locked On Canes your first listen today. Make sure you make Locked On College Basketball with Andy Patton and Isaac Shade your second listen. And I know... They've got to be giving some love to Canes basketball on their next episode. How about that? Andy Patton and Isaac Shade, Locked On College Basketball. They take you through the college hoops landscape like, like no other. Available just like our show. They are available free on YouTube and free wherever you get your podcasts. Congratulations to Canes hoops. That was the bounce back win that they needed. Nigel Pack, fantastic last night. So against Virginia Tech, 
Miami's down five points with eight minutes to play, and it's looking like, oh, no, first home loss of the year. Is that coming tonight? But then Pack takes over. He scores 17 points in a five-minute stretch. He makes six straight shots. Five of those were three-pointers, by the way. Just You want to talk about taking over a game? Nigel Pack single-handedly took over the game in Miami's most crucial moment. And the Hurricanes end up beating Virginia Tech 92-83. to And Miami are now 12-0 on their home floor. So congratulations to Jim Laranega and his team for making the Watsko Center an absolute fortress. And it was also at that game last night, it was great seeing some great former Canes athletes were there at the Watsko Center. Braxton Berrios was there. Dewan Hernandez, John Jay, David Njoku, Gabby Sanchez were all there taking in the action. So that was great. And, you know, selfishly, it was an awesome hoops night last night because my Canes basketball team won and my Miami Heat won last night. So that was a good, good time. But the, the Canes game was on the home floor. The Heat game was not. Uh, I wanted to throw some thank yous, by the way. And, and remember, guys, this is not going to be our only episode of the day. Uh, John Garcia Jr. and I are going to be going through the highlights of, of Miami's class of 2023 a little bit later on. So you definitely want to tune in for that. But I wanted to throw some thank yous for people who have recently left us five-star ratings and reviews on apple podcasts and spotify if you guys can do that for us it really helps boost the profile of the show it helps get the audio version out there because if people go and check the reviews they want to see that we're providing something that they might want to listen to so if you can help us out with a five-star review it's going to go a long way uh over the last uh several days we've gotten new five-star reviews and if i miss anybody i'm so sorry because sometimes they don't list them in the order that they came in which is really annoying because i've got to like shuffle around to find the new ones so if i missed you i apologize wholeheartedly but we've gotten new five-star reviews from david jc thank you so much from a user who goes by boy thank you boy hassan d thank you so much for the five-star review d french canes Hurricane Keys, SC Kane. I'm not sure if that's Southern California or South Carolina Kane. Either way, thank you. St. Cloud Rob, thank you for tuning in from Central Florida. J. Austin 171, thank you so much. Stockbridge Canes, thank you. Canes Vin, sounds like a paisan, eh? So thank you so much, Canes Vin. Caldwell Tampa, thank you. And Babs EG, who listens from Canada. Thank you, Babs, for tuning in. Even north of the border, we got listeners here on Locked on Kane. So thank you guys so much for leaving the five-star reviews. Keep them coming. If you do leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, whenever I see those, I like to throw shout-outs on the show. So thank you guys so much. And we will talk to you guys again later today on another episode of Locked on Canes, part of the awesome Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.